0: Well, the sermon title today is How to Handle Snakes. Yes, you all knew it was coming. I'm from Louisiana. matter of fact, there's a symbol, there's a, there's a picture that we actually have. This is from Louisiana where I grew up. Beware of snakes. A guy was down not far from where I lived yesterday. He said, I took this picture uh, while I was down there, and I go, uh, that's interesting in light of what I'm talking about today. So, nevertheless... Uh, I, want us, I want us to talk for to just a little bit. We've been talking through the series on the Torah, and uh, there's a term called foreshadowing that I think is very important. And we've talked about this before, uh, but it's a picture of what's yet to come. Now, in the secular world, the way that you might understand that, often with movies, they will give hints. Or they will give lead-ins to the next movie that's about to come. Like with Star Wars. You know how they kind of set it up for the next Star Wars movie. Or every toy story that you've ever seen, there's always a foreshadowing. There's always the picture of a book or the the, the, the emblem or the next story that's coming. There's, it's always in each movie the next movie that's to come. There's always a picture, a little slight foreshadowing, of what's to come, virtually every movie that's intended to be made, a second or third or fourth one, they'll always have something that kind of points toward that direction. And that's exactly what the Old Testament always does as it relates to Christ. The Old Testament is pointing toward the ultimate Savior, the ultimate Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, when we started this series in January on the Torah, we looked at the book of Genesis and we saw how God created everything. He is the creator and the originator of all mankind. And then we talked about Abraham. And Abraham uh, was selected by God to start a a race to start a people group who would be the light to the world and would reveal God's glory. And then we went to Exodus. And there Moses uh, encounters God... His, his people have been in slavery for four hundred years, and he has an encounter with God, and His personal name is revealed to Moses and God calls Moses to lead his people to freedom. then we 've been in Leviticus, we were in Leviticus for a couple of weeks, and we learned how the lamb was the sacrificial lamb was the way that the nation of Israel would have their sins forgiven, how the people would have their sins covered. By the blood, the blood of the Lamb, which of course points directly toward Jesus Christ. And then last week we were in the book of Numbers, and the book of Numbers has a lot of great stories. That is a great blessing that we we uh, encountered last week, and we talked about the ironic blessing and how it blesses us and how we are to bless others. And today we're going to talk about a passage. uh, Matter of fact, that directly relates to the most famous verse in all of scripture the most well-known verse in all of scripture if i were to ask you that question what would you say is the most popular verse the verse that most people if they've only heard one verse they've heard of this what would that be john 3:16 that's correct but do you know the background to john 3:16 do you know if you started in verse 14 what was jesus referencing Well, today we're going to look at the story that makes John 3.16 make sense, that makes John 3.14 and 15 come together. And matter of fact, when you're quoting that verse, I'm sure most people, when they're at a football game and they're holding that up, I bet you most people don't know what is the story this directly relates back to, the story that foreshadowed how Christ would come and what he would do. So I want to read you a couple of scriptures from the New Testament about foreshadowing. One is, these are the shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, the Bible says, Now these things happened to them, speaking about the Old Testament, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now let's look at John 3, 14 through 16. uh, Arguably the most beloved passage in all of Scripture. Starting back with 14, what does it say? It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Moses, this is a reference back to Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9 that we'll read in just a moment. Moses lifts up a serpent in the wilderness, and here's the example, here's the foreshadowing it pointing to this moment, so must the Son of Man, so much Jesus Christ, be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. A great verse, a great passage, but do you know the background? Well, let's, let's look at it and let's learn about it today in Numbers 21, beginning with verse 4 through verse 9. And we start off with this situation. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now, they're having to go around Edom. They're basically at a central point here, and they need to come over here, but Edom is right here. And they've asked permission to go through the land of Edom. But Edom says, if you come in here, we're going to fight. There's going to be all-on-out war, so you can't come through. So the people are having to go way out of their way. It's the equivalency almost of you're trying to go to Denton, and they tell you you got to go to Fort Worth and then come around. And that's kind of the picture. They're having to go way out of the way. And so they're frustrated, and the Bible says this, and the people became impatient on the way. Have you ever been impatient? I'm impatient. I'm one of the most impatient people that you've ever met. Aren't you glad you came to Rock Point? (laughs) I struggle with impatience. I do. My family could give testimony if I were to ask them to right now. They could stand up and share stories. But can I tell you this? Impatience is not a sin. Not just simply becoming impatient. I mean, we all do that. Your kids do that in the car. We all become impatient. It's what you do when you're impatient. It's what you do after you become impatient. It's, it's when you begin to yell. It's when you begin to curse. It's when you begin to belittle. It's when you begin to berate. It's when you begin to tear, tear down. It's when you begin to only think of yourself in spite of others. That's where impatience leads to and that's exactly what happens here. They're impatient. They're tired of wandering around. They've been wandering around for two years and they're tired of it and now they've got to go all the way around this land and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Here's the sin. So we see the situation. They're having to walk a lot, okay? Now, There's a lot of sin that's led up to this point, why they're having to wander. But nevertheless, now uh, they're having to go all the way around this land, and they're in this position, and the people begin to speak out against God and against Moses. Moses being the spokesman, being the mediator for God. And they begin to speak out against him that he's not sufficient, that uh, he's led them out there. He doesn't care. He's not there. Do you ever speak out against God? He continues here, and they said... Why have you brought us out of Egypt? Well, because one, you had been praying and asked me to deliver you out of Egypt, but you've seemed to have forgotten about that. You were in slavery, by the way. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food? Now, think about what he just said there. There's no food, there's no water, and we hate this food. Sound like a comment you had before? It's like when you know, somebody in your family goes, we got nothing to eat in here. And you got like, I bought all these groceries and you won't eat them. It's not that we don't have any, it's that you don't want it. So they've been having manna for a couple of years now and they're going, you know what? We're sick of this blessing. We're sick of this provision <clears throat> and this worthless food. And so then the Lord sent fiery sermons among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, as I told you, I grew up in Louisiana, and one of the things that my dad taught me, and he taught me this lesson very well because of where we lived, because we had a, a pond out before us, and there was a swamp out. Uh, if you went out several hundred years, years, yards behind us, there was a swamp. And so it was a situation where there were always snakes around. Matter of fact, I don't ever remember going to the swamps and not seeing a snake. That was just part of life. And my dad always taught, taught me, always look for snakes. There are snakes around. There are snakes in that pond. There are snakes in that creek. There are snakes in that swamp. Always look for snakes. Always be careful where you walk. And my wife will tell you now, I'm I'm still very aware of snakes, even here, living in Texas. I'm always watching for snakes because I remember the times that we would get out of the car, and we had cattle and horses, so there would be manure piles out there. And sometimes those moccasins, they would look just like a pile. And I remember getting out one time I was barefoot. I go, I think that's a snake. My cousin said, no, it's just manure. And I said, no, I think it's a snake. We pulled back. Sure enough, it was a big water moccasin right there in front of our house. Now, that was just something we lived with. And we realized to be, we're, we're going to be aware that snakes are going to exist. But we were protected. We were protected because we lived in a house. Uh, we were protected because we had animals. Our dogs would bark at them. So there were things put in place uh, that if we were being conscious, we wouldn't have to worry about it. there was a protection. But what if that protection had been removed? What if there were no house there? What if there were no dogs there? What if there was nothing? Well, those snakes would have been in and around, uh, even more prevalent. I think that's what happened here. I believe they've been in the wilderness for two years now. You know if there's always snakes in the wilderness? It's not that snakes had not been there. It's they've been there. It's that I believe God has removed the hedge of protection. Okay? You've spoken against me. You you don't think I'm here? You don't think I'm real? You don't think I'm leading you? I'll pull the hedge up. There are snakes everywhere already. And that's exactly what happens. And the Bible says this. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. So they come in a spirit of confession and they, they repent, they confess, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, and here is the reference that points right back to John 3, 14. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Amazing story. We see the situation, we see the sin, we see the serpent, and then we see... The Savior. The Savior. What about you? What kind of situation do you find yourself in today? You know, God's not just concerned with a journey, He's concerned. He's not just concerned with a destination, He's concerned with a journey and what you are becoming and what He's creating you and what He's making you. You know, you think of any profession, uh, if you were a physician, if you were a surgeon, uh, you had to go through the journey. You didn't didn't just get up and go through college and then read a book and do real well on tests and become a doctor. You had to go through med school. You had to go through residency. You had to go through the journey. What if we just said, hey, if you can just score high enough on this test out of college, you can be a doctor. That's all you have to do. Just fill this form out right here, ace the test, and you're good. No, I want someone who's practiced before. I want somebody who hasn't just read a book I don't, want to be, I don't want to be a guinea pig. I want them to not just have head knowledge. I want them to have life knowledge and understanding that they've been there. They've experienced it. As they've gone through residency, they've watched it happen. Then they've participated, and little by little, they've done more and more until they finish. And now they're prepared. And by the way, as I talk to some of our physicians, they say, you're not even actually really prepared then, yet you continue to learn as you grow. And that's part of the journey, isn't it? But we don't want the journey. We just want the diploma so often. But that's not the way God grows us. That's not the way he brings himself glory. That's not the way we are created and refined into the image of Christ. And so we often become impatient, which leads us to sin. We become ungracious, unthankful. And how do we get to that spot? Well, I'll tell you how we get to that spot. First of all, we begin to think the wrong things. Our thinking, we start to think, I don't know that God even cares. I don't even know that he's aware. I don't think it matters. I think I can just do this on my own. I don't think I need that. And so we start to think incorrectly. And then it's, the next step is we start to say the wrong things. Well, that's all well and good, but I, I don't even know if I believe that. Or you know what? Just you know, I, I, I may be a Christian, but I, you look at what he's doing, and compared to what I'm doing, it's not that big a deal. Matter of fact, I can't stand them anyway. We start to cut down and destroy because we're jealous or for whatever reason we start to say the wrong thing. So we think the wrong thing, we say the wrong thing, and pretty sure soon we're seeing the wrong thing. We're seeing things that people don't mean. We're uh, we're watching things that we shouldn't watch. We're starting to think we see things in people's hearts or attitudes or their perspective or what they're saying to us that's not even there. And after we start to see the wrong things, we'll often start to pray the wrong things. God, why are you doing this? Why don't you quit? God, why don't you do for me? Why don't you give me this? I'm sick and tired of asking you. We start to pray with the wrong spirit and the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. And when we start to pray like that, it's just another one simple step that we start to do the wrong things. We start justifying our sin. We start taking it upon ourselves to, to decide what's right and what's wrong. And to make that judgment for humanity ourselves as opposed to the word of God. And then we find ourselves in the wrong place. Maybe figuratively. Maybe literally. Maybe we find ourselves in a pit of discouragement. Because of what we believed was right and truth. We've started to think wrong. See wrong. Believe wrong. Pray wrong. Do wrong. And all of a sudden we're wrong ourselves. It's just kind of a process that the evil one takes us through when we don't fall on our knees and recognize who God is. And that's what the serpent does. That's why the serpent came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why he's always whispering that message of death and destruction and of lack of faith and belief. So what do I do? What do the people in the nation of Israel have to do? Well, first of all, you have to see that God is the great creator. He is a, you got to see his greatness and concentrate on his greatness and what he has done for us and who he is. And then we confess our sin. We confess our lack of faith. We confess our spiritual uh, depravity and we receive his grace. We ask forgiveness and we ask God, I know I don't deserve it, but I ask for forgiveness and I want you to reset my mind and my heart. You might be thinking, but how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, I love this story about the gardener. It happened in the main, uh, medieval times. He had a beautiful exquisite garden just a few miles from the castle where the great king ruled. And his, his fame was known throughout the land for his exquisite garden, the flowers, the vines, the tree, They were all magnificent, and people would often come by just to see, just to see what it looked like, just to give them a a refreshment for the day. And he was very proud of the hard work he had done to to make and create this garden. But one day as he was gardening there and as he was weeding in his garden, he heard this rumbling and this sound start to come, and he wondered what it was. It sounded like thunder, but then he recognized what it was. It was the king's horses. They were coming through, and his his whole uh, army... Of horsemen were coming through, and as they came through, they began to rip up the flowers and they began to tear down the vines and break limbs off the trees. When they had finished going through, nearly half his garden was destroyed. He was distraught, but he thought maybe they didn't see, maybe they didn't understand, maybe they didn't know, and so he began to repair and he began to replenish, he began to reseed his garden, and soon it was back to where it was, and he was satisfied and thankful once again. But then one day he heard that rumbling, and sure enough, the horses came through. And this time, it was even greater devastation. They began to pull up flowers and rip down vines and break limbs. And when they had finished, his entire garden was nearly destroyed. At that point, although he was despondent, he decided to reseed and to regrow. So he took this opportunity to to redo the whole garden and, and to make it more beautiful and expansive than it had ever been. And soon, it was just that. It was the most beautiful garden he could have ever imagined. It was like he had always dreamed. And then came the thunder. Then came the noise. And then came the horsemen. And then came the troops as they came through. The cavalry picked picked up the, the limbs and they pulled up the flowers and they tore down the vines and they took them with them. And he was so angry that he began to run. It was three miles away. And he was crying and his face was red and his fists were clenched. And his face was tightened. And as he came to the castle, just like almost as they knew he was, they knew he was coming, the drawbridge begins to come down. And he begins to march over the drawbridge. And when he enters into the palace, his hands unclutched. His face went from a wretched frown to a beautiful smile. His countenance completely changed in that those tears of anger were now tears of joy. Now, why would that be? What would transform a man who was so angry, so discouraged, so frustrated? Because when he looked at the king, when he looked at the throne, and when he looked at the palace... He noticed that his flowers, his limbs, and his vines all adorned the king's throne and the king's palace. They brought him the king glory. And for this, the man was pleased. Now, we don't always get to see what God is doing here on earth. We don't always get to see the full picture. We don't always get to go to the throne and see exactly what's happened with our ashes, with our heartbreaks, with our discouragement. But can I tell you this? We serve a God who redeems all things. And God even redeems this instance in Scripture. You may be thinking to yourself, well, how do I overcome this discouragement. How do I overcome this spirit that I find myself in? Well, that's one of the reasons we do Lent. And let me give you some things that you consider for Lent. Some things that you can do to overcome the discouragement or the, just the flatness of your spirit or the lack of faith today. Number one, remember. Remember what God has done. Remember the blessings that you do have. Remember the salvation that he has provided. Number two, move. What do I mean by that? For some of you, it means getting off off the couch. You find yourself constantly, I can't wait to just get home and just lie down and just watch TV. That's my goal in life is to get to the TV or just to get to where I'm doing nothing. You know, sometimes uh, we physically need to exercise, but sometimes we need to get up and we need to build relationships. We need to move. We need to take steps forward in our faith and in our life. Number three, feed. Begin to feed your spirit. Are you reading through the scripture? Are you having a time with Christ each day? Are you letting him speak into your life? Are you seeking him in prayer? You've got to feed your spirit. Next, encourage. Encourage someone else and allow someone else to encourage you spiritually. Who have you encouraged today? Who will you encourage today? Sleep. You know, I just had a, this sounds funny to you, but I just had a really good, uh, I was able to sleep really well this weekend, which is not normal for me. And can I tell you, sometimes the most spiritual thing I can do is take a nap. That's what it is. Some of us, we get in bad habits of staying up late at night, working on things, watching things, doing things, whatever it is. Maybe for Lent, you go, I'm shutting it down at 10 o'clock. Maybe part of my spiritual flatness and my dissatisfaction with life is that I don't sleep. I know some of you are going, yeah, try it, you'll like it. All right? (laughs) Serve. Where are you serving? Where are you helping someone less fortunate than you? Now, we have plenty of opportunities right here at church, but maybe God's leading you somewhere else to serve in some capacity. Uh, I'll never forget what Dr. Menroth said. He said, Dr. Menroth, if somebody couldn't afford counseling, because your counseling is very expensive, but if you couldn't afford counseling uh, and you could tell somebody to just do one thing who was dealing with discouragement and despair, what would you tell them to do? He said, here's what I'd tell them to do. I'd tell them to go across the track and to help someone that's less fortunate. He said, that's the best piece of advice I could give you. That's the best medicine you could take right there. And God already knew that. That's why he created us to serve. Study scripture. Begin to let it marinate in your mind. Let the word of God as you read it and as you soak it in, let it begin to impact your mind and your heart as you read it. And pray. Are you carving out time to pray, to talk to the Father? I want to encourage you to do so. I'll close with this story. Mother Teresa, uh, when she first started, you know, we now know her, and I've always had great respect and admiration for her and for her life and what she accomplished. Uh, there are over, today, matter of fact, there's still over 500,000 families that are fed each day because of her charity, because of her work, and there are 20,000, over 20,000 uh, kids that get an education because of her. And I could go on and on with the list, but when she first started, She's a little four fourfoot10, 98-pound nun who had been in the convent. And uh, she, was only, she was in her early 20s, and she felt glad to go to Calcutta and to uh, help the poor there. But she would walk each day and try to find a place that would let her minister to the poor, a place that where she could bring people in who needed food, who needed medical attention, a place where she could take children in but she could find no place. She would walk all day, every day, knocking on doors, trying to ask people if they would allow them to use their home or to use their building, and she heard no after no after no. As a matter of fact, she wrote in her journal, my feet ache, my back hurts, and my soul is empty. Everyone has said no. Perhaps I should just go back to the convent and live a simple life. And she wrote how, how despaired she was, but it wasn't long after that. That a door opened and then another and then another. And God took what looked like uh, a, a completely a hopeless situation and turned it into one of the greatest ministries of our generation through a four foot ten little woman who didn't know the people, who didn't really know the culture, who had nothing to offer but her heart for the poor. What about you? God has equipped us with so much more. To whom much is given, much is required. I want to close with this last illustration so that we see this picture. And we'll close with this. We talked about the snake on the pole. Uh, it was called Nehushtan, or the snake on the pole there in, in Numbers 21. But we see that Christ, what has Christ done? Well, we see as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Christ was lifted up. And for he, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What did God do? God took our sin and he placed it upon the cross. And Jesus covered it. He took the curse. The the snake was a picture of the curse of the sin of the people. The cross is a curse of the sin of the people. But Christ took that curse upon him that we might be forgiven. That we might be healed of our sin. Have you been healed of your sin? Have you been forgiven? Do you recognize it's only because of what Christ did on the cross? If not, I invite you to receive him today. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord, that you took our place on the cross, that our sin was placed upon the cross, and, Lord, your blood covered it. Your son, your perfect and holy son covered it. So that now, Lord, we can quote John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in the place of our sin. In the place of that curse, in the place of that snake. He gave his only begotten son that if we would believe, if we would put our faith and trust in him, we might be forgiven and have eternal life. I thank you, Lord, for that great promise of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you today, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.